Welcome to the Search the Scriptures podcast, where we dive into scripture and provide the explanation of it in the most accurate light that we can. Search the Scriptures is a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the Christian, challenging our brothers and sisters along with ourselves to see if we have set aside the commands of God to set up our own traditions. To do this, we use scripture to explain scripture. Please join us on this journey. Right. Let's continue our study on Romans chapter 8, verse 12. And I'm going to pick it up right here, right in the middle of the chapter. We're probably going to take at least, we'll see to, to where we get, but maybe to verse 24, 25. Um, there's multiple things that Paul talks about, multiple themes that are covered in this chapter. So I don't I don't want to rush through any of them. I'm going to give it their due time to each. Um, he's going to talk soon or introduce the topic of predestination um, in this chapter, but he's going to deeply more cover it with verses on chapter nine. So it's hard to just take a theme like that or a topic like that and and try to condense it all in one chapter when you have other areas of it in other chapters as well. So we'll do our best to cover um, what we can here in verses 12, starting verses 12, and we'll see what the scriptures have for us today. So starting with verse 12, and it says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, remember that Paul has already taught us, right? Um, I'm not just going to say the beginning of this chapter. I'm going to say throughout Romans in general and, and other um, previous chapters, the fact that we are now new creations and we have a new life that we're living out, right? We actually have a new being in a sense in the sense that there is a new us that is literally a new us that has been born when we go through this amazing miracle that it is to be saved, right? When we receive salvation, there's actually a death that occurs, and there is, and in a way, there a coming out, right? Coming out of which is symbolized from, from with baptism as well. We saw the symbolism of that where we are immersed and we come out as a new being, as a new creation. And this new life that we have, this new us, this new spirit, is actually already fit for heaven, right? It's, it's already in that sense, and, and don't confuse when I use this word, right? Because we are not perfect, but I'm going to say perfect in the sense of this new life that we have, this new us, who we are now in Christ, right? The person that Paul was referring to, that is the new him that is struggling and fighting against the deeds of the flesh and that fallenness that is remaining that is still attached to the body which is not redeemed right this new us is not going to undergo another transformation so that's what i mean in the sense that it's already perfect because this new you that you have received that is now um exercise this life in the spirit that is now uh, equipped to obey God, to obey the commands of God, which you were not equipped to do so before. In fact, you don't have even the capacity. You didn't have the capacity to do so before. This new you is not going to die again. No, it just came alive. It's not going to die again on the day of Christ Jesus. It's not going to die again on the day that we receive our redeemed body. It's not going to transform. It is, it's the same you. That you is going to live eternally. What's going to be added on later is the new redeemed body, which is also going to be eternal because this body will waste away. In fact, it is constantly and daily wasting away. So this new you, Paul is going to bring it again and refer to it here when he says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, 
And if this will probably recall the chapter where Paul talks about leaving one master, right? Because we were purchased by another and we're no longer under obligation to sin because sin is no longer our master, right? We're now under obligation to our new master who is Christ because now we are in Christ Jesus. Now he is our Lord. Now we are being adopted by God. So we have no, we have nothing to do. We don't owe anything to the flesh. Though the body will still try, though the flesh will still try to command and to have dominion where it no longer has dominion, that is all it can do. Try. It cannot. It can try. And, and believe me so when I say that it will very, very do a great job at convincing you or trying to convince you that you are in the flesh. But we already went over the fact that you don't have the capacity of being in the flesh anymore because living in the flesh or being in the flesh is being unsaved. That is another term for somebody who is in the world, somebody who's not been redeemed, somebody who hasn't received Christ, who hasn't come to the realization that he needs a savior. That is someone who is in the flesh. That is someone who lives in the flesh. That's no longer us. So when we in our new state use the word flesh we don't use it in the same sense that as far as identity that that is us and where we live and how we are we use it in the sense of the actual fallenness that is still attached to our unredeemed body which is still decaying it is still cursed and still needs to die right and here in verse 12 he's reiterating the fact that we don't have we don't owe anything to the flesh we don't owe the flesh to live according to it. It doesn't command us anymore. We're not slaves. That's the word. We're not slaves to it anymore. And then he says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. And that already happened, right? We saw that in previous chapters. We have to die. So that's why, that's why salvation is such a miracle because there has already been a death. And in a way, a resurrection because you died and now you have a new life. You were literally born again. And here it continues to say, but if by the spirit, you're not living according to the flesh anymore, right? Because you have to die. But now by, by the spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. Now, this is key because he's referring, right? He's referring to an unbeliever in one portion of the passage or the verse. And then it talks to the believer, right? Because if you are in the flesh, you're not a believer. You have to die first. And now he tells you, if you are by the spirit putting to death the deeds of the body, that's you. That's us. That is That was Paul when he was telling us how he is in depression and despair when he saw the war in his members and how the spirit had to subdue the flesh constantly, right? So this is what is actively happening in our lives. By the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. And what is it saying that that's going to happen? We're going to live. That's by default. We know that as believers, we're going to live. We have eternal life, guaranteed, right? That's, that's part of the inheritance. So we are going to live forever. Now, I want you to see, though, that there's still something actively happening, right? What is it saying? Putting to death the deeds of the body. What does that tell you and I? This is going to constantly and continuously happen throughout our life because that's already the believer, but you still have to put to death the deeds of the body. So there are certain views out there when it comes to sanctification, sanctification, right? There's different views. Some people believe one thing, other people believe others. I'm gonna give you a couple examples of, of those that are predominant, right? So some believe that sanctification or this process of being this a new creation in Christ is instantly where you are in one moment, in one instant, literally one instant, made perfect, 
wholly, completely. That's not the case. That's going to be the person that is going to be struggling a lot. And I mean a lot with the fact that they still cannot explain away their sin in their lives and the temptation that they face and the carnality that is still traveling with them and attached to them. They can't explain it. Though they believe that they're immediately perfect because you're a new creation in Christ and they take it to mean that you're absolutely perfect, will never sin again, you're going to have a very, very hard time with the reality of that Paul teaches us with you have the two, the two struggling forces, right? Then there's another view that is where you have to be idle. Don't do anything because God is going to take care of everything, right? The typical let go and let God. That has a place in the right context. That has a place when we talk about faith, when we talk about certain things that are our control are out of our control, right? Yeah, absolutely. God is in control in his providence and in his will. There's certain things that we literally have no say so. There's literally things that we literally have no control over, and it's going to be completely up to him, right? Let me give you an example. Vengeance. Do not do never ever ever under any circumstance think or try to justify yourself in thinking that you can take vengeance into your own hands for anything that's been done to you because the, the scriptures are clear when it says that vengeance belongs to the lord so definitely let go and let god because he will take care of that right so again it comes to what does it align with scripture and where is it not out of context or wrongfully applied but the let go and let God, a lot of the times is used in the sense of, I don't do anything. I'm very idle in my Christianity. I don't have to be very active because I'm just riding the wave and God is, is literally in the boat doing everything. And I just do nothing. That is completely out of context. And that does not align with what God tells us to do. Because the person that believes that it's going to have a very, very hard time with the verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't fit the let go and let God because God is telling you to actively work it out. Now, that doesn't mean earn it. He has spent many, many, many words already and many chapters and many verses telling you that you can't earn it and that he's given it to you for free. And that it is a gift and it is by faith through grace right and jesus christ alone that's it but once you have it okay work it out what does it mean work it out be active about it what is it supposed to what is it supposed to happen in your life now that you're saved you are to produce work you are to produce fruit right make sure that you're being active in the christian life make sure that you are doing what he tells you to do what he commands you you're preaching the gospel etc fill in the blank right etc 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 work it out be active i'm going to give you an analogy that is very very simple and it's very very easy to understand you don't have to earn your muscles they're free what i mean by that they come with you from the moment that you're out of the womb, the muscles are already there. You already have muscles. It's part of your body. It's natural. It's given to you. It's free. But you go to the gym and you work them out. You develop them, right? It's the same idea. Silly example, silly analogy, but it's the exact same thing. That's a great you don't analogy. Actually have, what was that, sir? So that's a great analogy. <laughs> right, right? I mean, it's simple, but... You don't have to go out there and attain the muscles in the sense of getting them. They're there. You just work them out. It's the exact same thing with salvation. You don't get it on your own. It's given to you. You work it out. You put it into practice. You develop it, right? So, again, part of that is putting the deeds of the flesh um, to death, right? Is is um is putting to death the deeds of the body, right? Is is submitting the body, submitting the flesh by the spirit. Is using your your God-giving abilities now to be able to live a life that is according to Him and pleasing to Him. And then there is other beliefs out there that you know you are in this Christian life, 
and at some point something drastic almost sensational very mystical hap thing happens where you all of a sudden attain a higher level of holiness right so that that could be more akin to you know the belief that well you you get baptized first by water and then later on you get the baptism of fire right and, and and you get the holy spirit then at a later point not when you get saved you get it later when you get baptized by him and then you start doing all this crazy stuff right and then you start speaking in tongues and all this stuff now you're a higher level of christian now you're holier that's when you become perfect right again different views different ideologies all completely wrong what scripture consistently teaches is that you are a new creation you are a child of god you have been adopted to the family of god you have been made joint you have been made joint heirs with christ and you will inherit everything that he will inherit right because you're joint heir you literally will inherit everything but while you're here you are still attached to a fallen evil body that is going to continuously for the rest of your life try to exercise dominion where it doesn't have dominion anymore and you will have to fight it for the time that you're here and you will have to live out this christian life and you will have to obey god while you're here now that you are a child to him so that that is the reality and it is a very active and involved walk that's the key that's why i said it's not the let go and let god because you're actually very very involved in it and you have to be very proactive and intentional about it right and well let me give you i guess this is the easiest example right because we can use a plethora an entire list of sins the bible is very good about giving us examples and a list of many 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 sins but one of the ones that is very easy to always think about is very easy to point out right is is, is lust is sexual sin so let me just use it as an example because it's easy to use the bible is intentional when it tells us to run away from it so if you're in a situation where you know that you are going to be tempted and that you're most likely going to indulge in it there is no i'm going to go through it i'm going to get in there and i'm going to let go and let god do that see how that works out for you because i can guarantee how it's going to work out for you you will be killed and the reason that i can guarantee that is because the bible tells me that go to the proverbs and it will tell you many 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 times that it will kill you every single time there's absolutely no way the Bible tells you to escape it. The Bible tells you to run away from it. The Bible tells you to turn away is to be proactive. That's the part of you being proactive in your Christian life and not letting go and letting God. So that's just an example. And you can, we can use that for literally every type of sin, right? And I'm going to give you here some scriptures to note some things that to, to show, right? examples of how the christian life now works where we have to continually and gradually be killing our sins and this is a process that is never completed in this life and the means the spirit uses to accomplish this process is our faithful obedience to scripture so i'll take if and we don't have to go there because some of them are just one verses and i'll go there and back uh, quickly but one of them will be ephesians 5 18 where Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, right? Speaking to, know, to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. It's giving you an example where it's telling you, now, don't get drunk in wine. What is it, <clears throat> what is it telling you? Don't sin don't indulge in the deeds of the flesh which is wanting to get drunk right but instead be filled with the spirit the spirit of god is literally now in you inside of you and then be filled with the spirit what what does it tell you after that 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, worshiping the Lord. Right? It doesn't say that it has to be mystical, be filling the spirit, it means that you're walking around, waving your hand like you're waving the force and moving objects and doing magical things. That's not what it means to be filled with the spirit. To be filled with the spirit is to literally, literally obey God, walk according to his statutes, because he's giving you the power to do that. That is to be, that's to show that you're filled with the spirit, to show the fruit of the spirit, right? And another example we can see is Colossians 3.16, where it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. These are instructions, right? How, how do we live out this Christian life proactively? Here it is, the word of Christ. Let it dwell within you. How are you going to let the word of Christ dwell within you? Read it. Learn it. Study it. Meditate on it. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, and it goes again, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it continues to tell you, encourage one another, sing to God, worship God, obey his word, dwell in his word. So those are the things that demonstrate that you are filled with the spirit and living in the spirit. Um, Psalm 1-2 says but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night all right so psalm 1 2 meditate in the word of god right day and night psalm 119 always my favorite uh, psalm 119 11 your word i have treasured in my heart that i might not sin against you is literally giving you the key what is the best way to keep yourself from sinning it's literally his word. We used the example before that Christ set himself when he gave us the example of how he confronted Satan and how he confronted and overcame every single temptation thrown at him. And it was literally by using the word. And here, the Psalms is telling you the same thing. Treasure the word, hide the word in your heart. And otherwise, in other words, learn it. Be knowledgeable of it. Memorize it. Right? Think on it. Meditate on it. Remember it. The Holy Spirit will take care of that to bring into remembrance to you when you need it. So these are the ways that we are proactively, and we have there's many more. I mean, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. So again, it, it gives you the instruction what to do, what um, to do to live this life. That is what Paul means when he says in this verse, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that is a gradual and continuing process that will happen for the rest of your life for as long as you're here. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So, believers who are led by the spirit and i'm going to tie this to what we just went over right all these scriptures about learning the word learning the truth hiding his word in your heart following his command etc being led by the spirit doesn't mean being led by all these subjective mental impressions that you can think that you get every single second where you might think that you're getting visions left and right and again, all has to, it all has to be a mystical experience. It doesn't mean that. It is actually being led by God's teachings, his scripture. That is his spirit. That's his mind. That's the mind. That's the nature of God given to us in his word. That is living 
by the Spirit. That is living in, being led by the Spirit. There's nowhere in Scripture where it teaches you that you're going to live your life from mental impression to mental impression, from vision to vision to vision to vision, right? Whatever you think that comes to you, every fresh revelation that just drops in your head, that's how you're going to live by. There's nowhere where it teaches you that. It consistently teaches you to be a student of Scripture. It consistently teaches you to meditate on His Word, pray to Him, have a relationship with Him, obey Him. All of these things is what it means to actually be led by the Spirit, right? And there are sometimes, there are sometimes where God, where literally in His providence and His power, He's going to literally orchestrate things and orchestrate circumstances to lead you to something or away from something, right? He, he can do it. He can intervene however he wants. I mean, an example of that is Acts 7, Acts 16. And it's just one verse. I'm not going to go through the whole passage. But in Acts 16, verse 7, it says, And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bethania. And, and it says directly, And the Spirit of Jesus, Jesus did not permit them. So literally, and it goes on to talk about a vision that Paul got and everything. And to tell him to go to, he had a vision where he says, come over to Macedonia, etc. But what I'm telling you is that God has the ability, if he wants to, or he just can, he can orchestrate circumstances to let you know specifically if something in your life is something that you should follow or not. It could happen. It could, right? There's something that you really want to pursue that is really what you want to pursue, whether that be a job, whether that be a move, whatever it case be. He could literally close that door shut in your face if he wants to. He could literally orchestrate or circumstances to not allow you to do that. He could. I'm not saying that's what he goes around doing on a daily basis, but he could, right? Because it's his creation. We're his children. If he's going to, the Bible says that he orders our steps, right? So he could do that. What I'm saying is, the other thing that I'm saying is that the prime, the primary way, the primarily the way that he actually leads us is by giving us illumination of the scriptures for us to understand in our finite minds, for us to understand his will, right? That's the way that he primarily guides us and leads us by giving us his word, giving on his commands, giving us his mind, and then illuminating that to us where there's no longer foolishness to us. And we can actually understand it and follow it. Right. So Luke 24, 44, for example, says, and I'll read 44 and 45. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's making it clear, right? His word is absolute. It must come to pass. It must happen. It's truth. You can trust it. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Right? And, it's, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ will suffer and rise again from the death the third day. And it goes on. But that's the key part. It's establishes word, and then it says, and he opens their minds to understand the scriptures, which is part of what the Holy Spirit does, part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. So that is another way that the Spirit, or a main primarily a way that the Spirit guides us. Ephesians 1, 17, 19 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us to believe? Again, Illumination, understanding, that's the way that we can follow his word. That's the way that we can follow his instruction and it'll be led by his spirit. I mean, literally, we're being led by the spirit. It is literally the spirit who is illuminating the scripture to us. 
It is literally the spirit who is revealing to us what to do through his word. So if you see a simple, it's, it's clear. It is actually, it's not only clear, it is literal. It's not even symbolic. It is literally what's happening. It is the spirit of God revealing to you his will to follow it, making you understand what to do. What else do we need? We don't need a mystical experience where everything has to be so magical and fantastic, right? It's literally right then and there. And another way that we're led by the Spirit is the process of sanctification, which we just went over some of it, right? It's, the, it's enabling us, it's divine, divinely enabling us to obey the Scripture that He's now allowing us to understand. Now he has given us the power to obey the word and to obey his command. Galatians 5.16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I mean, right there to the point, right? Relevant to what we're talking right now. Walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We read all what it means to be walk, walking in the spirit, what it entails, studying, meditating, praying, understanding, right? That's walking by the spirit. To not carry out the desire. Literally, it means to fill yourself up with God. Everything of God. And the very, very thing that we have before us that tells us, that gives us, that reveals to us the most about God is his own word. So it's not a matter of, this is not a matter of being old-fashioned or being conservative or being um, whatever, whatever we want to call it. No, it's, it's just being logical. It's literally being logical. If if our belief is predicated on the fact that God is truth and that his word is absolute and that his word is true, literally our entire belief predicates on that. I mean, we we have to believe and we believe that everything that God says is true. So if we believe that God, that everything that God says is true, and I already have in front of me the very thing that it is confirmed that is, it's his word that he wrote and that he gave to me, and I already accept that. What in in what sense, in what mind, is it logical, or does it does it make sense to try to go to another source, or to try to fill in, because this is not enough, and come up with other theories or ideas religions, dominations, etc. right? It makes no sense. If you believe 100% in the master and you know that this is this, these are his teachings and it's written by him and this is his word and you accept that and believe that, then why? I mean, it's, it's literally only logical, right? So this is to be led by the spirit and if we are led by the Spirit, what does verse 14 says in our chapter? These are the sons of God. It confirms who you are. It confirms that you have been adopted to his family, right? It confirms that you're not long, no longer searching and going after myth and fables and, and human teachings and philosophies and none of that. It confirms that you are going after his own heart. He is not, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. So now he's telling you when you went through that process of adoption and when you went through that process of being saved and being born again, the spirit that was deposited in you, the spirit that you received is not a spirit of slavery to fear. You no longer have to live in fear. What is the number one thing that people fear in life? Death. 
The number one thing that people fear in life is death, is mortality. Somebody who doesn't have Christ, somebody who doesn't have the promise of eternal life, can only live in fear because there is nothing for them. But you don't have that fear anymore. Because now you have received the spirit of adoption and now you have this realization, this knowledge, this confidence that you are a son of God and that there is something more for you. And this realization, this new state that you live in allows you to cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is an informal Aramaic term that is used to refer to a dad, something that is intimate. Like that's like us saying daddy or papa, right? Something like that, like being close, it, it, using a term that, that shows that tender dependence and relationship free that we can trust that, um, not you know out of fear or anxiety, not, no roadblock between us no distance that that real closeness that's what abba that's what that term means or is used and the word is telling us in other words he is telling you that you can call him that he is telling you that that is the kind of relationship that you have with him now now don't lose sight of things right because I am very, and I'm going to use an earthly example, right? I'm very, very close to my dad. I was always very, very close to my dad. But believe me when I say that I was also afraid of my dad. And when I say afraid of my dad, I don't mean it in, the, in a bad sense. Like, I didn't mean it in a way where he did anything wrong. No, I mean, I, I, I couldn't have a better dad. I was blessed with a great dad. But you have that fear right as a child because this is a person of authority this is the person that you know that you have to respect this is the person that you know that um can discipline you this is the person that um you are supposed to obey it's the same with god now it's the same with god but on steroids right take it to the to the millionth degree an infinite degree so we have the close relationship with him, but we are also to fear him. He is our father, which means he can discipline us. Right? Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. It's funny, I literally... I just, my mind just drifted back to my <clears throat> child years. I don't know, maybe I was like five, six or seven. And I could literally, just like memories came to my mind of, of, of times that I did something wrong. And the first thought in my head was, oh no, I don't want dad to find out, <laughs> right? And, and again, as a child, it's something no, because I, I knew you were gonna get in trouble, right? You knew you were gonna get, you're gonna get the discipline. That is actually how we should feel with God. Imagine, imagine a dad, that you know that it's going to discipline you and that there's absolutely no way that you can hide anything from him. So there is no, oh, I hope that dad is, is not gonna find out. No, he's always watching. Huh? He's, he's, he's always watching. He always knows. I mean, it goes to, and now, and now I'm just kind of boasting on him now, uh, I'm God. He's just, it's just like, he just does, things that amaze me we've heard this one a million times but it still amazes me and some and, and even makes me laugh because and it makes me laugh because i wasn't the one there but it amazes me when he was just walking in the garden saying adam where are you already knowing where he was and adam is here hiding thinking right like in fear thinking that he somehow doesn't know where he is like he can hide from the lord that's that's literally the image and the picture that we should have in our minds whenever we're tempted. 
and whenever we want to stray away from the path because we can't hide. Literally, everything is naked before his eye, which again, which, which again should motivate us to live and be led by the Spirit, right? Um, then it says, the Spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And a, a very kind of like, Kind of a fun fact here is that in in Roman culture, um, adoption, you had to have witnesses present, right? But in other words, you had to have witnesses, witness, I mean, the redundance, right? Witness the adoption in order for it to be legally binding. You couldn't, it wasn't just a private secret proceeding, right? So when there was an adoption taking place in Roman culture, which Again, this is the book of Romans, right? R written to the Roman church. Um, when adoption occurred, a legal adoption occurred, there was witnesses there that had to be present to attest to the validity of it. And here you see that expressed in a spiritual way because the spirit testifies that you are a child of God. In other words, it validates it. It makes it it solidifies it, right? It makes it legal. It makes it actually come to fruition. So it's telling you the spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, this is the part that everything is good and dandy till, till then, right? I mean, this, this part, 16, and the first half of 17 is great. The Spirit himself testified with our spirit that we are children of God. I mean, that sounds powerful, awesome. And if children heirs also, yes, amen, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, amen. And I know that Christ is the heir of all things, literally everything. He is the heir of everything, and I am a fellow heir with him, a co-heir with Christ. That means that I'm going to inherit everything with him. Hallelujah. Don't read the next part. If indeed you suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. You see, that's the part that is not, that's the part that is not very appealing, right? And actually what I just said before, I didn't make it up. Hebrews 1, 2 tells us in these last days has spoken to us in his son, capital S, Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. So when I say that he literally is heir of everything and everything belongs to him, I didn't make it up. He tells us that. And you and I are going to be joint heirs with him. And what are the things that we're going to inherit? Have you ever thought yourself that? What are we going to inherit? One of the things that you're going to inherit is your own father. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Bless of the father, join him, come with me. You are literally inheriting him joining yourself with him galatians 329 says and if you belong to christ then you are abraham's descendants heirs according to promise peter 1 4 to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of god through faith for salvation ready to be revealed 
in the last time. You will inherit eternal life, salvation, God himself. You will be with God for eternity. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. That's Lamentations 3.24. Whom have I in heaven but you? Who have I in heaven? Who do I have in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. That's Psalms 73.25. You will inherit glory because you will be in glory with him. All those things are great. I mean, if we have something to look forward to, I think that's that's something to be excited about. about. But you see, you are joint heirs with Christ, and you're being molded and shaped, and shaped into the image of Christ, and you have been called to suffer with him. Matthew 5, 10, 12. Bless, not curse. Bless are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bless are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if you want, if you want to get even, if you want to feel worse and get even more scared, yeah, go and read what happened to the prophets. John fifteen eighteen to twenty one. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. You are the slave. I am the slave, right? He is the master. And he says... We are no greater than the master. So if they persecuted me, him speaking, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So it is nothing but, I mean, just to see another example, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 for momentary for mom, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far, far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen so if there's something that is guaranteed is suffering it is affliction Right? There's there's two sides of the coin. There's an inheritance, there's eternal life, glory, reward, but there's also suffering that comes with it. And that is just testimony that you are in Christ. And that is just testimony that you are heir, an heir with Christ. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that it is to be re to revealed to us. Just imagine that. I mean, I would love, especially right now that my throat is still a little raspy and itchy, I would love to have a body that doesn't get sick. I would love to have a body that doesn't get tired. I would love to have a body that doesn't feel pain, and I would love to have a body that doesn't age. I would love to be in a world where there's no tears, there's no sadness. That will all be revealed to us one day. You see, this is literally only the beginning. Salvation, it is literally only the beginning. To be completed later. 
I, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Literally creation itself longs for this. Creation itself longs for the return of Christ, for the redeeming of all things. When I say creation, I'm not talking about human beings, right? We're a separate category. We're his sons. But literally creation itself groans for his return. For the creation was subjected to futility, verse 20, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. <clears throat> in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from a slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now there's a key word here, futility, which means pointless, meaningless, Thing. The central topic of um, one of the compilations of King Solomon's writings. It is all vanity, it's all pointless, meaningless. Is saying here that creation, the entirety of it, the entirety of it, was subject to pointlessness. Do, do you catch what it's saying there? Creation, everything, the entire world, everything that you're on. Imagine a mouse on a wheel. Everything that you do, everything that you're spinning your wheels on, everything around you has been subject to purposelessness, to meaninglessness. It is futile. In other words, there is nothing for you outside of God. Nothing has meaning. You are living, just that is a scary thought. You are living a pointless, meaningless, futile life with no goal, no purpose, with no end other than death. And not willingly. And not willingly, exactly. In Genesis 3, 17, 19, Genesis 3, 17, 19 says, Then to Adam, he says, and we can go to that one. It has a couple of verses here. Genesis 17. I'm sorry, Genesis 3, 17, 19. I bet this is a very good one that husbands will love to use on their wives, right? Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. You see, love is justifying that I, I don't have to listen to you. I can do what I want. <laughs> That's not what it says, people. All right. But it said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And here was, here was the problem, right? Because it was bad advice. And he had the ability and he had the capacity and he had the understanding being instructed not to disobey God and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you should not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Notice how he didn't say because of your wife. Because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both Thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. 
by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return i don't know if you notice how sometimes this verse is used in a positive note that, that, especially the ending of this verse like in something that sounds cool from dust you're taken to dust you shall return that's literally making the entire point that's god telling adam at a moment where he was absolutely not happy with him where he is cursing him and cursing everything around him cursing the entire world and all of creation because of him and telling you you're gonna have to do all of these things you're gonna work and do all these things you want to eat you're gonna work you're gonna plant you're gonna sweat you're gonna spend your entire life doing all of this for what just to die that's what it means for you are dust and to dust you shall return it's not a cool thing no he's just telling you all of this you're gonna have to spend your entire life having to do all of these things for what for nothing just to die that's what that passage is telling you And that is precisely, and we can go back to Romans, the point that Romans is making. When it says that everything was subject to futility, to meaninglessness. And I know that I'm going over it and over it and over and over again, but I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to make the point that every person that lives without Christ, and these were each and every one of us at one point, lives for nothing, lives for a lie, for anything that they might think, any goals, aspirations, any empty, whatever they have, desire they have that they think, the God of the universe that has created everything has cursed it all and has said there's nothing for you other than whatever you think you're accomplishing now. But at the end of the day, I'm going to take it all away. What do you mean that God will take it all away? Well, he will because they're going to die. Why are they going to die? Because God cursed them. So, truly, the only way that a man, and when I say a man, I'm including men and women, can attain purpose, can have purpose, is only inside of Christ. It's only in Christ, because outside of him, it doesn't exist. And again, I don't, I don't know what better way to see this point and to um, get in more debt, right? Than in Solomon's words, than going through the Ecclesiastes. And literally seeing how all of the riches and the passions and anything and everything that the world has to offer is nothing. It's meaningless, it's pointless, and it will end, leave you with nothingness and death. Now to us, we see all this and it should just inspire or stir up thankfulness, right? Gratefulness towards God. But it should also, it should also stir up a sadness for those who are outside of Christ. 
to know that this is what every single person next to you that you interact on a daily basis who you know who is not in Christ is actually living. That there's no point to their lives. It doesn't matter who they think they are, who they are in a human perspective. And I'll finish these few verses here. That the creation itself will also be set free from a slavery to corruption. What do you mean creation? What well, we just saw in Genesis, God subjected all of creation to the curse because of Adam. Even creation itself, nature itself, the land, the dirt, everything cries out to be let free from this curse that it was subjected to because of Adam. into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation roams and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. That's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to that moment where our body is redeemed, where we are made whole, right? We groan within ourselves. These are groanings that are just too deep for words. This is actually connected to... Um, verse 26 which i might not get to today i probably won't but to the idea that it's going to bring later what the groanings in the spirit means that have nothing to do with speaking in tongues verse 24 for in hope we have been saved but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already for who hopes for what he already sees but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We know. We know what's coming and what is promised to us. And we hope for it because we haven't seen it. We have no idea what this new, eternal, incorruptible body is going to look like. We have no earthly idea how heaven is going to look like. It doesn't matter what people try to make you believe it doesn't matter what this number of books that people have been to heaven try to tell you that heaven's going to be like we have no idea other than what the bible tells us about it and even then it leaves almost everything to the imagination so that's where the hope comes in because you were only wondering expecting literally just making ideas in our mind how wonderful it's going to be because we know that it's going to be wonderful we just don't know exactly how it is and i think i'll leave it there for today this is as far as my voice is going to take me tonight <laughs> but um we'll continue next time in verse 26 which will We'll touch on the point that I just made about the groanings. If you see the beginning of the verse, it says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is the part that is misinterpreted to me. Oh, it's the Spirit talking. Pray in the Spirit. And it says here that is too deep for words. So that means that we're going to speak out and babble things that makes no sense and chant in different tongues and languages. That has nothing to do with that. Though as this verse is used to support that idea, it's completely out of context and is not what it means at all. Um, but we'll and there's no interpretation of that either. What was that? There's no interpretation of it. It's literally too deep for words. There's no Ex words to interpret it. Exactly. Exactly. All right. That's all today. I'll leave it open for the for questions or thoughts. And um, 
my voice allows it, I'll answer questions. If not, so we can answer them. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, man, amen, man. Uh, I love that right there. Uh, let me scroll up a little bit where it says uh, uh, that the creation is subject, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Mm -hmm. So uh, all the creation went into this, in, into this uh, curse, mm -hmm. fighting against it, not, not wanting to go. But but he did it, and even though the entire world still today fights against that curse, it will it, it does nothing for us. Like mm -hmm. literally, it, it is worthless. You can reach out to science; it is worthless. You can reach out to other gods; it is worthless. You can reach out to other myths; it is worthless. Nothing is going to work. That's right. That's right. Literally, it only all has one end, and he already decreed it, and is. It's all going back to dust. Yep, death. That's it. You're right. That is amazing. And, and it just—it's—it's it's a sadness to it because there's nothing you can do about it. Like, uh -huh. There's nothing at all because it's God who did it. Like there's nobody that can do otherwise. They can—they can say anything to him. Noah can counsel him about it. This is what he has decided to do for mm -hmm. everybody, all the creation, including animals and everything. That's—that's that's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I love the analogy of the muscles. That, that, <laughs> that was awesome because it's so true. They're there, but you got to work them. That's exactly. so awesome. I mean, it's so simple, right? But it's so true. <laughs> so good. Such clarity tonight. Thank you so much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.